Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Good morning. Uh, My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And we are in the second week of a series entitled Start. I mean, it's January. You don't really need to be a rocket scientist for that one. Uh, But what we're doing is we're looking at the life of David to look at just the different seasons, the different things he experienced, uh, and how God did a new thing in different seasons of his life over and over and over again. And when you hit the first week of January... Everybody's kind of stoked, like it's 2020, amazing things are going to happen. You hit the second week of January, it's kind of like, eh, I don't know that those goals really matter all that much. Um, but, but seriously, you could look at, I know I, I had certain goals that I was really excited about 2024, and like you hit the second week and I start feeling like they're real far off. Like I don't even really know where to start with that kind of stuff. Um, and, and others of us, I know people that I, I dearly love have, have some tough stuff going on, right? And they're just trying to think, like, how am I going to make it to the end of the year? And I don't even know where to start with that. Um, and so, so we all, uh, pretty much always, but definitely this time of year, we love a good inspirational story, right? It's really one of, I think, the most effective uses of social media is to share these inspirational stories that are really helpful. And there was one, there's a, a gentleman who's a JV football coach uh, out in California who won an ESPY over the summer. And those of you who don't know, ESPYs are the ESPN awards for various things in sporting. Um, and he won it for overcoming odds, right, for defying the odds. Um, and I thought his story was just a really great way uh, to kind of kick this off. So check this out.
realizing I couldn't play football. So how inspirational. So last year was his first year as the head coach of a JV high school football squad. And he took a team that wasn't doing so hot and they made it to the championships, but they lost. See, the thing that's inspiring about that isn't the results. It is the fact that this man, who if you watch the longer documentary, it does a nice job of explaining, like he was born with a love of football. Like, it just grabbed his attention, and he didn't ignore it. He leaned into it, even though he couldn't lean into it the way other people did. And as he grew older, that love, like, God used that to form him into the man he is now. And he let God do that. He trusted God. He moved forward. And as a result, like, not only were those boys inspired by him, ESPN was inspired by him, and we're sitting here talking about it now. There's something incredible that happens when we are willing to put our faith in God and just focus on the footwork, right? We, we as human beings want to be focused on the results. Like that's, even in our culture, especially American culture, like we're a get-or-done culture, right? Like get up early, work hard all day, every day, and get results. But the reality is that God is the one in the results business. We're in the footwork business. And so we're gonna spend our time this morning talking about another, another season, another story in the life of David where he overcomes insurmountable odds. Does anyone have any idea what it is? David and, yes. Um, but here's, here's what I wanna caution against. And I'm not saying this is a wrong interpretation. But what I think a lot of us like to do is read David and Goliath and like, man, I'm David. And that thing that I want to accomplish that seems so big, that's Goliath. And if I put my faith in God, I can slay giants. And I'm not saying there aren't times that that, that kind of plays out. But if that's how I read it, what happens when I, when I don't slay the giant? It also, it gets me focused on finding giants. Like if this, is, if this is how I read it, I'm running around looking for giants to slay. And I don't think that that's really what God wants us to understand, why it was recorded in scripture. If we look at it instead as Jesus is David, right? Jesus can slay giants. Then it takes the responsibility for the results off of me and leaves it on God. And listen, we are called as followers of Christ to live like he lived. So we still look, how did David engage this? What can we learn about how to engage it from this story? 
But ultimately, the results are going to be up to God because he's the one that we're putting our faith in. Um, so we're literally, we are going to read through this account and just talk about it. But before I get into it, I need to give you a visual for the setup. So David was a part of the nation of Israel, but was a shepherd, right? We talked about this last week. Like he was young, he was kind of little, he was taking care of the sheep. And as part of his duties, he would sometimes deliver food to his older brothers who were soldiers. Like they were warriors. And there is a, a battle taking place between the Israelite army and the Philistine army. So if you just picture a valley, and on one side is the Philistine army, on the other side is the Israelite army, neither one of them can actually move forward because as soon as they do, they're at a disadvantage. So they've been in a standstill for weeks. There's a tradition back then called single combat where an army could send out their greatest warrior to challenge the greatest warrior from the other army and the two would kind of settle it by who won. And so, so the Philistines have been sending out Goliath who is nine feet tall, nine feet. I have a brother-in-law who's 6'10", and he's like, this is, I mean, this is a mountain of a man. They describe him like he is a grizzled veteran, armored up, not the kind of guy you really want to tangle with. And so, and now it doesn't necessarily record this, but if you, if you think about it, this is, I mean, they've been there weeks, and every day Goliath comes out, and says to the Israelite army, send me your champion. Let me take him on. And they send no one. They sit there cowering. And so you'd have to imagine that over the course of some time, he's going to start to get a little more pointed in his invitation. He's going to start taunting them. It's just going to be this situation where now the, the Philistine army are sending out this guy every day who's just taunting them. And nobody will respond. So David, David is delivering food to his brothers when he happens to catch what's going on. So we're going to pick this up. This is 1 Samuel 17. We're going to start in verse 23. So as he, David, was talking to them, that's the, the people in the army, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Goth, stepped out from, from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him, uh, exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David. Can I even speak? 
He then turned away, turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. When David saw what was overheard and reported to Saul, I'm sorry, when what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So David is not searching for giants. David is living his normal, routine, mundane, average life. And he happens to hear it. Right now, I, I don't know many people, and if, if you have, I'm not getting in the way of that, but, but I don't know many people for whom God came down and said, wait, go do this thing. He didn't really seem to work that way. Now, now sometimes the circumstances God uses are pretty loud, but, but usually it's, it's a still small voice, right? It's, it's a thing going on in the background that for whatever reason happened to catch your ear. It is the, the nudge that you feel while you're living your regular life. And for most of us, we respond one of two ways. I think the most common way is probably that we ignore it. Like, uh, I mean, like it kind of caught my attention, but I don't really know what's going on there. I, that's, and we just ignore it and go on about our life. Listen, I, like I have to get home from the grocery store because my wife is waiting for the chicken bullion. There's no way I can ask this guy what's up because that might lead to a whole long thing and I got life to live, right? Then there's other circumstances where we see a thing and man, we know. We know because we know that God would want us to participate, but what do I have to offer? Like that's way more than I could actually affect in any way, so why even engage it? Because it's too, much, it's too much bigger than anything I'm capable of. And so we tend to either ignore or we run. But David does neither. David hears it, it captures his attention, and he lets it. Listen, I, I can tell you with a certainty, I did the exercise. So, so when I was writing this, I knew I was gonna say it, and I'm like, am I lying just to sound a certain way? So like I wrote stuff out. I wrote out a list of everything that I treasure. The, the stuff, the people, the relationships, the pivotal experiences in my life, the things that I hold dearest. And I was not looking for any of them. Every one of them came my way, happened to get my attention, and then God did what God does. And I don't want to make it sound like, like those were all pleasant, like those all felt good or were happy. Some of those were some of the hardest times in my life, some of the most tragic things I had to experience. But in each case, God is the one who wanted to use it and got my attention, and I allowed him. Um, and that's exactly what David does here. So as we read on, we pick this up in verse 33, and this is where now David and Saul are, are together, and David said, hey, don't sweat it, I'm gonna go and handle this, and Saul replies. He says, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. 
When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. We, we exist in a culture that has a lot of really great training programs, has a lot of really good schools, has a lot of really good books that we can learn from it, and they're all good, but training is only valuable to the point that it forms you. You could take two different people with wildly different life circumstances, give them the same education, and the result will be different because God doesn't only use books and classrooms to grow us. He uses all of the experiences that we go through in life. He uses the relationships and the people that he places in our life. He uses the reflections on those relationships. And so, so just like Saul did to David, it's normal for us to look at a situation and think, I'm really not qualified to go handle that. I, I'm too young, right? I, I, don't, I don't have the, the degree necessary. I don't have the, the training to go and do those things. But when we do that, we ignore who God is forming us to be. And if really if what we want to do is live out God's purpose for our life, then we got to be who God made us to be. You know, when, when my wife and I kind of decided we're going to do the ministry thing, like we had to make a conscious decision. Because when you go into my line of work, having a history like I do doesn't necessarily land you jobs. And we had to decide, like, are we going to kind of push away, not, not deny, but just kind of skate over all of the drugs and the, the arrests and the fights and the terrible decisions, or, or are we going to lean into it? And conventional wisdom would say, you know, like, oh, I was a rebellious youth, but then I met Jesus, and move on <laughs> with your training. Well, if, I mean, anyone who knows me knows, like, I, I do not do that. Um, but what I have seen instead by leaning into exactly who God formed me to be is that he uses me in places that he could only use me because I am who he formed. And I, and I my wife uh, kind of gives me a hard time about it. I have always said, like, literally every job I've gotten since I left seminary, I always at some point I'm like, I'm really not qualified for that job. And she continues to point out like God is the one who decides those things. We need to stop trying to take control of that and just be who God made us to be. Um, and that is exactly what we see David doing. So like no fault to Saul. Of course Saul is telling him it's not a good idea. This guy's a trained warrior. You're like a little shepherd guy. Uh, but David's faith is in God not any kind of training or worldly wisdom. So when we read on, we realize at the end of that last passage, like, okay, Saul relents. Saul sees something where he's like, okay, go, Lord be with you. So we pick up in verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. Now Saul's the king. So when Saul goes putting his stuff on David, this is the finest 
of possible stuff. So Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So, so Saul, trying to do the right thing, wants to equip David with the best tools for the job, the absolute best ones. He wants to try and make David more like Saul. But that is, that is the opposite of how God operates. We need to be who we are, not who someone else is. You know, there's, there's two things that happen when I try and take control uh, of, of who I'm going to be in a circumstance. And the, forgive me, the easiest example I can use is, is preaching, right? Because that's a, a part of my vocation that I'm exposed to a lot of different people. Like I am exposed to people whom I consider to be the best in the industry and I watch how they do what they do and I want to do what they do. But if I got up here, if I guarantee you, if Mike Moses wrote a sermon and I got up here and I just read you that sermon, it would fall dead. Like it's, it's not who God built and designed me to be. I need to be who God made me to be. If I start trying to use someone else's way, I'm basically taking control. I'm saying to God, I don't trust you that you made me who I need to be for this job, so I'm gonna decide the best way for me to do it, and then I'm only gonna get what I have to offer. Whereas if I trust God, that he knows what he's doing when he puts me in a circumstance, well then I get the best God has to offer. And there's this other really subtle nuance that happens when we kind of release control to God in a circumstance. Um, and so the best way I can describe it, on a, on a Sunday like this morning, I put my boots on this morning at 6.30. I will take them off tonight around 8.15. Whether or not my feet hurt during the course of the day, I can guarantee you that when I sit in my, my leather recliner and I pull my boot off, there is this feeling of rest in that that I almost didn't even know I needed until it happened. And when we relinquish control of a circumstance to God, we get to experience that same peace because he's the one who's responsible for the outcome. We no longer have to carry that weight. And that really only happens if we allow to be, if we allow ourselves to be who God made us to be. I had a, um, something happens when you talk in front of groups and you all who do this will know, usually one or two people will say a nice thing to you when you're done. Like it's just polite and it's really nice. Um, but I got one compliment from a guy two years ago that was in my opinion, the best compliment I could ever get. Um, but I preached on something, I don't know what, and he grabbed me in the lobby, and he was a guy who had an MDiv, like he was theologically trained, and so I'm all like, which, which hermeneutic did you like? Like, what was the exegetical principle that really helped you meet the Lord? And he goes to me, he's like, man, I love it when you're up there, because I just, I watch you, and I'm like, if he can do it, anybody <laughs> can do it. <laughs> I was like the most backhanded whatever, but... 
but that's real, right? Like that's, that's a thing that God wouldn't have done if I wasn't willing to just be who I am. And I think that we all have that tendency to want to be somebody else in a given circumstance because in our eyes, they're able to do it better. Uh, but that's not, David does not struggle with that at all. So as we continue reading uh, in verse 45, we see David. So now David's talking to Goliath. David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Which, quick side note, anyone who's into sports or spades, this is proof that trash talk is biblical. <laughs> verse, verse 48, he goes on. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David, said quickly, uh, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David used the tools that God gave him. Even though they didn't necessarily look like the right tools for the job. You know, we were having a, it's silly, but we were having this conversation on Thursday up in the office because there's a stapler. And on the back side of the stapler, there's like a bunch of divots. Like someone was like hammering in a nail with the stapler. Um, but but it's, an, it's a valid point, right? Like if, if I only have a stapler and I got to hammer a nail in, I'm going to use what I have. And God wants us to use the tools that he's given us. I often, uh, not as much anymore, but, but a few years ago, a lot, like I would have conversations about being in ministry and having tattoos. And like, do you hide them? What do you do? Where do you stand on that? And anyone who wants to dialogue over that passage, we can do it later. But, um, but I got to tell you, man, these tattoos have opened up more conversations with people about Jesus than anything, way more than my degree, that's for sure. Like we use the tools that God's given us, even if it doesn't seem like they should work, God gave them to us and he can do whatever he wants. If our faith is in him and we're only focused on the footwork, then we don't have to worry about whether or not these tools should work. We can just trust that they do. And that's what David did. And when we do that, there's this real special thing that happens when we trust what God has given us when we trust who God has made us to be, in a circumstance that God brought our way, he gets the glory, not us. And when that happens, it becomes powerful for everybody around. If we, if we read the last two verses we're gonna read in this passage, verse 51 and 52, it says, David ran and stood over him. 
He took hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Verse 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. These are the same men who had been cowering for weeks. And I, I can't prove it, but I feel pretty certain that if it was a, a veteran soldier who had gone out to defeat Goliath, the result would not have been the same. The fact that, that this little shepherd who never should have been allowed to even do it, went out and defeated him with only the tools that God had given him. When, when this little guy put his faith in God and accomplished this incredible thing, that opens the door for everybody who sees it to follow him. Opens the door for people to be inspired. That's, that is where David got to be a part of a story bigger than his own. And that is just as true for us. When we allow God to use who he formed us to be, even if there's no practical way that we should be able to accomplish what he's calling us to, and he does, man, that lets us be a part of his story. That's what allows us to be a part of sharing what God has done in this world and what it means to the rest of us. And that's, that's where God demonstrates his love for us best, I believe, when I am in a circumstance that I shouldn't be able to survive. You know, I have, uh, I think of two in particular, uh, two, they're actually groups of people that I love dearly, that right now, uh, one group is going through an awful, awful tragedy. Like, just breaks my heart that they have to experience it but man, can I see as clear as day how God is using who he formed them to be to move through it and to show love to others, how they get to experience his love in that process. And the other group uh, is trying to accomplish this particular goal that I won't, I won't share for their privacy's sake, but man, it's, it is daunting to say the least. Like there is, I've had conversations where, where they almost question, like, can we actually do this? But again, I see God using exactly who he formed them to be. Every experience of their life, every tool that they currently have to do this incredible work, and it inspires me. It makes me feel like God can actually use me. And so, so what I actually want to do at the end of our time here uh, is in a minute, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you 60 seconds, which will feel like an eternity. Um, and, and I want to encourage you, don't, do not spend your time focusing on what are the giants in your life, because they will come and find you. You don't need to search them out. What I want to do is ask God to show you. Who did he make you to be? What are the experiences that form you to be who you are? And how can he use that to help other people be set free? So I'll pray, and then we'll take our, our 60 seconds. So Lord, we don't always see clearly who we are uh, in your eyes, but we pray now, God, that you would help us to, to see that, 
to view ourselves the way that you view us as your created, loved, formed children uh, and reveal to us, God, the ways in which we are uniquely equipped to lean into the circumstances, challenges, and goals that you you send our way. Uh, We pray that you would help us to see that and give us the faith to step into it. Not for great deeds and heights attained, not for accomplishments and fame, not for moments when I succeed, when I am strong, when I believe, not for times when I'm pressing on, unfazed by night and fixed on dawn. Loved for who I am, now and today, stumbling, groping to find my way, a heart of dreams and fears and walls, of starts and stops, of peaks and falls, a life unpolished, unprofound, a sinner, ransom, lost, and found.